Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home an auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome to Real Dudes Podcast. This is Carrington, and I hear I have a very special guest with me today. Um, he actually works for Cheat Code Central, and I got to hear him speak at the Cincinnati Comic Expo. And so his name is Jason. Jason, how are you today? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's no problem. Thanks for taking the time to uh, uh, do an interview with us today. I know uh, you've got a family and everything, so thank you so much for taking the time out to spend some time with us. Yeah, sure. No problem. Sounds fun. So starting off, if you could just kind of give yourself a small little introduction about who you are, what you do, and uh, who you work for. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> I'm uh, the editor-in-chief of Cheat Code Central. Uh, we're the largest independently owned video game website online. Uh, the website's about 20 years old. Uh, it's been run by a guy named uh, Dave Allison out in Colorado since uh, around 1997. And what's uh, significant about our site is uh, when I say we're the largest independently owned website online, uh, obviously there's a ton of, uh, of big sites out there like Polygon and, and IGN and GameSpot and stuff like that. But those are all going to have kind of big media conglomerates behind them. Uh, we're completely independently owned and have been, again, for you know going on 20 years. Uh, we work with all the major companies, Microsoft, Sony, Nintendo, uh, pretty much you name it. And I've been the editor-in-chief uh, since 2015. I started as a writer back in 2013 and kind of moved my way up into the uh, the big chair there. And I've been doing it ever since. Very nice. Very nice. Um, so how would you explain possibly maybe your uh, maybe your day-to-day? Like what do you do on a daily basis as the editor-in-chief for Cheat Code Central? Uh, well, the first thing I'm going to do is uh, try to sift through the, the giant well of emails that are no doubt waiting for me in my inbox uh, from everything from PR emails, uh, press releases of new stuff coming out and people wanting coverage for you know this, that and the other thing or trailers uh, dealing with uh, PR as far as the uh, game codes that we need to get in advance to do our uh, reviews and and just also if there might be anything administratively I need to deal with specifically on the site. And then uh, from there, I'll kind of, uh, but actually by that point, my writers are, are kind of reaching out to me because uh, we all work on all different sides of the country. We work remotely uh, through things like uh, Google Hangouts and email and things. So by that point, you know, mid-morning, I'm starting to hear back from my editor and some of my writers, and they're kind of coming to me about what we're going to tackle for the day. Uh, they're getting their news stories together and checking out and see what hot-button topics are going on that we need to cover in the news. and then also. Uh, what opinion pieces uh, we should take from that and try to make those into some other kind of content, which would either be uh, like a daily opinion piece or sometimes we'll do lists like top top 10 lists, top five lists. And of course there's that. And then if we have a review that's coming out, um, it's either going to be posted on launch day or if there's an embargo uh, where we have had the game before the street date, so we'll actually have access to it before it's actually in Walmart or Target or anywhere else, uh, we need to make sure that we try to get the review up and online uh, as soon as the embargo's up. So usually we're juggling a lot of different things like that. And then by that point, uh, it's pretty late in the day and I'm wrapping up my my admin stuff, which includes posting the content that we had from the day to the site, getting it uh, 
post it to the different sections and also getting it out on the social media and, and sharing it and those things. So, and then the other thing is about my job is, you know, in my particular position is it's kind of a, it's kind of an on-call job in the sense that my, I don't really work a nine to five. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I try to start my uh, day uh, early in the day and try to work kind of a, a, a daytime schedule, but inevitably there's always things that carry over and my phone's always going off, whether it be emails and instant messages or just juggling other administrative stuff. So I'm pretty much plugged into the site from the time I get up in the morning to the time I go to bed. Now, of course, I'm not working the entire time. You know, my bulk of my stuff is like kind of a nine to five and I try to keep it that way. But I mean, inevitably, I always end up having to do things like emails and instant messages pretty much all evening as well and and, and dealing with that. But I mean, it's it's it can be hard work, but it's a labor of love. Mm-hmm. It's what I you know enjoy doing. And, and I like keep I like keeping busy. So that's all right. Oh, that's not a bad thing at all. I, I don't mind staying busy myself, uh, especially when because I work for a school system. So, you know, right now it's really slow. So but I don't mind those busy days as you're talking about. So right. um, when it comes to something like an opinion piece, is that something that you decide yourself or your writers decide? Or do you guys kind of get together and decide together? Because, uh, you know, I still pay attention to the site. You know, I've been visiting the site since, you know, I was a kid. I'm 27 now. So I remember going to that site looking for cheat codes and stuff. But now it seems to have changed to where, you know, you guys are more like news and things like that while still covering cheat codes and things like that. But when it comes to opinion pieces, how do you guys decide on what to cover and, and how to tackle that? Well, you know, I'll kind of I'll try to keep my my thumb on the pulse of what's going on in the gaming industry as much as I can. But because I've moved out of the writing uh, and into more of an administrative thing, I don't get to be happy as uh, I don't get to be as hands-on with some of the opinion pieces as I like to be, because that was always a fun part of the writing. But I mean, if I come across something that I think will make a good opinion piece or something that maybe I'll put a pin in and say, okay, we might come back to this topic later. I'll do that. But for the most part, I pretty much, you know, we'll let the writing team, uh, kind of do their own thing as far as being creative and, and I don't try to micromanage them too much. I pretty much, mm-hmm. I, they kind of have a general idea of what we're looking for, but then I'll kind of let them go out into the wild and, and find some things that might be trending or the top button. And then they'll kind of come back to me and they'll pitch their ideas of say, you know, okay, they, I, we have two or three things that are trending right now. Uh, here's a couple different topics that I think I could cover. And then here's my angle or my opinion on it. And here's the piece that I'd like to write about it. And some of it, you know, gets proved, some of it doesn't, or we might take a, a piece or an idea and I might tweak it and, and kind of give it a different kind of angle. And at that point they'll go off and they'll write the piece and they'll bring it back. And then my editor will uh, edit it and make sure it's, it's good for publishing. And then I'll kind of come in at the end and, and kind of repackage it with uh, images and, and make the title um, as clickable as possible. But overall, I mean, it's pretty collaborative effort, but overall I try to give the writers a lot of freedom to kind of have their own voice on the site. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And you've also mentioned that um, you guys tend to work remotely. Does that represent any uh, particular challenges or even perks, um, seeing as you guys don't work in an office altogether um, every day? Um, to be honest, yeah, it's, it's the only it's the only uh, way I've ever done it. So I don't know if there would be any uh, downside to it that I know of other than, I mean, if we all did work in an office together at communication and then kind of staying on top of things as far as what's going on on the writer's end probably would be a little bit easier. But I mean, overall, uh, it's worked out really well. And I mean, at, at this point, you know, and we're getting ready to move into 2018 in a couple months mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, with the advent of the Internet technology, it's kind of really broken down a lot of those old walls of um, needing to be in an office together and doing things, you know, right on top of each other. I mean, when you're a smaller team like ours, 
you can, I believe you can absolutely get as much done, you know, remotely um, as you can being in an office together, as, as, providing you have dependable people that are on the ball and motivated and, and hungry and get out there and, and, and do their job really well every day. Now, of course, I've had some people on my team that uh, don't really acclimate to being their own boss that well. And ultimately that can lead to a lot of problems because it's, mm -hmm. you know, if you're going to work for yourself and you're going to be your own boss, you, you have to be disciplined. And if you have, uh, the right kind of writers on your team, uh, it can make your life either really easy as an editor in chief or really sucky. Um, but right now I could honestly say I have a great team and I'm pretty happy with uh, the way things have been going recently as far as, you know, uh, the team and how things we've been doing, the content we've been producing. So, so I would say so far, uh, I can't, if you could put, put us all on the office right now and make us all show up to work and have to do the daily commute, I honestly can't see a, a benefit over what we're already doing. I think, it, I think the remote aspect of it works out pretty well for our site, for a site like ours. Uh, that's really good to hear. And, you know, um, technology certainly has helped even us as a podcast because none of us really live close together so i can see what you're talking about uh, and that aspect for sure because um, yeah. half of us are in west virginia and the other half of us are here in the cincinnati dayton area so right. you know it's it's really i can see where you're coming from up from that aspect especially um so the i want to switch gears a little bit and talk about uh cincinnati comic expo what was that experience like for you um being uh, since you're in the like cincinnati ish area um have you ever been to cincinnati comic expo before and have you ever done a panel before oh yeah i'm, I'm definitely a, a con junkie i've been to the expo several times the first time i ever went actually was in i think either 2013 or 2014 i can't remember and i went as a writer uh covering it and that was actually one of the first cons i'd ever been been to but uh, since then, my wife and I, we kind of did the con circuit recently last year. I think we pretty much did every con that happened uh, within an hour and a half to two hours of the tri-state area. So we probably did like 10 different cons last year. It was pretty fun. This year, we didn't do as many just because, you know, we have a uh, an extra kid. Uh, we have mm -hmm. a we, last year, we just had my son. He's five now. But uh, this year, we also have my other son who was only uh, about three or four months old. So that made traveling a little more challenging. So we try to just do the bigger local ones. Um, now, that is the first panel that I've done, but I do plan to possibly uh, tour that panel around at some other places. I'm actually uh, connected with the folks at Wizard World, and I go to all the Wizard World events and cover them. Uh, so I'm considering possibly uh, touring that at Wizard World and, and kind of going around and and uh, talking about some of the things that we talked about at the panel, which had to do with uh, how to get a job in video game journalism and keep it. Uh, but I could tell you at the Cincinnati Expo, as far as kind of a, a, a first outing, it was it was a really good experience. Definitely, uh, definitely fun. We had a, a nice little crowd there and a lot of questions at the end at the Q&A, which was nice. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it and I definitely would uh, consider doing it again for another con. I look forward if you do it again next year at Cincinnati Comic Expo to do uh, something similar because I, I feel like I, I learned a lot and uh, it was really nice to hear a perspective from someone who really is in the industry uh, doing what I'm trying to do currently. Um, and also, um, oh gosh, I forgot what I was going to say, but really it was just really nice to hear you speak and, and get a, a, a perspective on things. Now, if you could... Um, if you were, had the chance to maybe just in uh, one sentence or maybe two, uh, summarize what that you were talking about in the panel about keep, uh, working in the video game industry and keeping it uh, just for our audience, uh, just as more like a tease, maybe something that they could look forward to if they were ever in the area. Yeah, sure. It was, 
overall, it was something that I wish, you know, I had had a chance to you know, maybe go into a little bit more as far as the topic of gaming journalism itself is a bigger picture. But since we only had about 30, 40 minutes at the con, I had to kind of narrow it in on or narrow it down to what I wanted to really focus on. So um, instead of focusing on what it takes to be a good gaming journalist in general, I kind of focused in on more of how to get a gaming journalism job. And when I talk about, you know, how to get it, not only get it, but keep it, uh, one of the things that I run into with, with writers over the years is, uh, you know, they, they work really hard to get into the gig, but then they make a couple of mistakes uh, once they're in the gig that ends up, you know, they end up losing that hard-earned job that they worked so hard to get in the first place. So the, the panel kind of touched on uh, three or four things that somebody like me in my position as editor-in-chief, when I'm hiring somebody for our team, uh, what I look for and, and kind of what you can do if you're out there and you're a writer that wants to get into maybe just get your feet wet. Uh, you haven't really uh, did much writing or you kind of have an idea of what you'd like to do, but you haven't, you don't really know where to start. I kind of laid out a, several things that I look for that maybe some people can use to kind of get a, a leg up on uh, maybe not making the same mistakes or same struggles that somebody like I did, you know, early on where I just had to kind of figure it out, figure it out as I went along. And then also some of the pitfalls that you can avoid once you get that job. And even if you're somebody that actually is already working in the industry and has experience, but wants to take it to the next level, you know, and maybe get away from some of the smaller sites and kind of one of the larger sites like ours, because, you know, a site like ours will directly connect to the industry, which can absolutely be a stepping stone off into maybe you want to get into the actual game industry, uh, working in a company like Microsoft or Sony. There's some key things you need to do and some key things you need to avoid if you really want to make yourself marketable in that industry and actually be successful um, in this career path. It's not quite as easy um, as people think. As I mentioned in the panel, uh, a lot of times people get their writing gig and they, they kick their feet up and they, and they think they got it made and they don't realize that, you know, they should be taking this job or this gig as seriously as any job that they have out in the real world. I mean, there's a lot of people that will get a game writing job and they think, well, you know, I'm my own boss now. I don't have to report to anybody. I don't have any deadlines to meet. I don't have to do anything except play video games and get paid for it. And mm -hmm. it, it's it's absolutely not the case. So I try to cover some of the pitfalls and, and some of the things to try to give people a leg up. And, and like I said, not maybe not make some of the same mistakes that I did. And, and maybe they didn't have to struggle quite so hard. You know, and I think uh, that that's a really good summary. And you yourself, you talked about how you have an AV background. Could you talk about that a little bit and how you were able to make that switch um, from making videos to becoming a writer? Yeah, it's weird because uh, I never really saw myself as a writer when I was, you know, coming up with my audio video background. I actually got into audio video. Um, oddly enough, uh, Star Wars... Uh, the Phantom Menace, which I know that movie gets a lot of uh, flack for people. And right, it's, right. It, it's not the best movie in the world, I, I grant you. Uh, there are a lot of problems with it. Uh, but I can tell you, looking back on that movie, that, that release literally changed my life because it absolutely put me on the path of wanting to do effects and, and just being able to do... Because I, I I don't, you're probably a little bit too young to remember this. I sound like an old <laughs> folk now. But uh, back in the late 90s, the fan film things which were largely Star Wars based, they were kind of a new phenomenon. And anybody that could make a really good fan film back in the day, like I'm talking like 97, 98. Oh, yeah. You, yeah. I remember those days. Yeah. You were kind of like uh, a god to the rest of us, us fans because it was just like the most amazing thing to see pretty much what we just witnessed up on the screen 
on our computers because we're like, oh my gosh, we can't believe that not only can they actually do these effects, they're living in this world that we love so much. So through that, I ended up teaching myself, you know, Photoshop and After Effects and Adobe Premiere and it kind of snowballed. I uh, did take audio video production in college for a little bit after high school, but I kind of uh, got to the point where I was frustrated spending so much time not really focusing on my passion and my career. I was doing a lot of I mean, I remember uh, my first year of college, I took things like principles of marketing and uh, English mm -hmm. composition and all these other things. And it was just driving me up a wall because I knew I could have been out there, you know, working on my resume and, and putting a portfolio together. So I ended up actually just deciding to not go the college route and, and see what I could do for myself as far as editing is concerned. And I just kept teaching myself, you know, more and more uh, editing skills. And I finally, uh, over the years, put some things together. And a portfolio and built one gig on top of the other to where I ended up uh, actually launching my own YouTube channel in about 20, let's see, I guess that would have been 2012. Okay. And that was a period where YouTube at the time was a very different animal than it was back in 2007, 2008, when I first fell in love with it. And of course the marketing uh, or the AdSense uh, program is what kind of opened up a lot of content creators to that world to say, okay, you can be your own boss. You can actually make money with your content. And it was a really great time. But by the time that I got into it in 2012, there was a lot of things that changed about it. There was a lot of uh, issues with things like uh, content IDs and then the automated systems they put in place that made a channel like mine almost impossible to really get off the ground. I mean, it wasn't for the lack of trying either, because I actually put a lot of work and production values into the channel. And I was able to grow it pretty quickly. Uh, I was able to get over uh, a million hits within like the first six months. And I feel like people were really digging the content that I was making. Uh, I was getting tons of subscribers and it, everything was rolling along really well as far as the engagement and people being supportive and supporting the content I was doing. The problem is the, the ad revenue was not coming in because a lot of the videos weren't getting monetized. Because mm -hmm. uh, I can tell you right now, if, if the monetization issue wasn't the case, or wasn't in place back then, uh, like it is today, uh, you and I probably wouldn't be talking, not because I would be this big YouTube star, but it's just because I would have went a different path. One of the reasons I'm, I ended up going out into the writing world is because of how bad it was on YouTube. It was because I was spending all of this time going to like midnight screenings of movies, just to try to get the review out, you know, by the next day and putting all this time and effort into my production values. Cause that was one of the things I wanted to do with my audio video on my YouTube channel is I wanted to try to stand out by having really great production values. And I feel like I did that, but that didn't really matter to the automated system behind the scenes that wouldn't monetize the videos because of, you know, one reason or another, because they, you know, they don't recognize fair use because it's a, it's a computer. It doesn't really get, it just flags anything that it thinks is copyright, whether it actually is copywritten or not. So that mm -hmm. just became so frustrating. I, I finally had to throw my hands up and say, look, I can't keep putting this much time and effort into a project that I don't know I'm going to get a return out of because I'm trying to make this a career. So that's kind of what I decided to, or that's when I decided to take my experience on YouTube, roll that up into a, a, another portfolio and say, okay, I got some samples here. I got some, I got my background. Uh, what can I do with this? And I ended up applying to a bunch of different sites and it just so happens Cheat Code Central uh, was one of the sites that I applied to. And as I spoke about in the panel, as far as uh, making opportunities for yourself, don't ever be afraid to uh, take a shot in the dark because I, I applied to Cheat Code Central at the time where they weren't even hiring. And I ended up interviewing for the editor-in-chief position just because he happened to be on his way out at the time. Now, uh, that position kind of went away. It didn't work out. They ended up, he ended up staying around. 
but by that point, I already had my foot in the door. So I kind of worked that into a writing position and kind of the rest is history. I kind of worked my way up from writing to doing more behind the scenes stuff that I was helping with. And then finally became the editor in chief later on uh, when that position finally did become available. But the the path from audio video to writing, to kind of answer your question, is mm-hmm. it was kind of a, a strange one for me. I never really saw myself as a writer. But once I got into the writing side of things, I realized that what I was doing uh, for the YouTube videos and the writing Maybe not the audio video side of it, but kind of the production and the writing that we have to do for the voiceovers and putting a script together and kind of thinking about what you want the video to be. You have to kind of write that out and kind of transferring that to just a written medium versus video wasn't too big of a stretch. So I I, I had a lot of fun, you know, my first couple of years as a writer, and it kind of felt very similar to what I'd already been doing. Wow, that's that's quite the uh, the journey there. And so real quick question. Uh, you probably don't pay attention to your YouTube page anymore, but does it still get any uh, any love from you? Do you still post things? No. Well, I mean, I at this point, I've kind of because uh, the thing because I don't want to sound like we're kind of dogging on YouTube, but I mean right. now, yeah, yeah, it's even worse now. I mean, I don't oh, know yeah. if you kept up with that, but like the the whole kind of adpocalypse that people have called it over the last year with advertisements mm-hmm. uh, completely pulling out of YouTube, and YouTube's basically saying, "Look, we'll do." anything you want advertisers just don't take your money away and they're basically like well look you know we have demands don't put our ads on these kind of videos and then they basically went back where i think all these uh, youtube youtubers kind of thought they were protected because like well we're producing all this content that's making all this ad money well it turns out that you know youtube when it when push came to shove they sided with the advertisers and now all these people that have been making money normally hand over fist are just finding their whole channels are, are completely getting demonetized and it's really looking like that career path of being a YouTuber as a as a way of kind of quitting your day job and becoming a celebrity or even the people that don't want to be necessarily a celebrity, they just want to make a decent living. It looks like that that well might be drying up. It looks like unless something changes, uh, the YouTube kind of a wave might, might be over for a lot of people. And that's unfortunate because it was a really a cool way that a lot of people got discovered and got their start. But it really looks like YouTube might be wanting to be more of a corporate entity, like a more like a Netflix style. And I don't really think that that leaves a lot of room for people trying to just get started on on a place like YouTube. So anyway, as far as my channel goes, I, I don't really upload a lot of uh, content for uh, things like reviews and media and things like I used to. But what I'm mm-hmm. using it for now more than anything else is kind of a, a jumping off point for a for a portfolio. Um still doing videos and things like that for uh, cheat code central. And we do a lot of product reviews and things. And so a lot of the stuff that you see on my YouTube channel now uh, has, is, is linked over from what's on our, the content that's on our cheat code central page. And some of the videos that I create there for some of our sponsors will kind of be featured there to show people, Hey, look, this is what I'm doing now, but it, it's really more of a, a showcase and a portfolio than an actual means of trying to actually make a, a living at it. I, I kind of look at what I'm doing now is my new career path and where this is going to take me. Um, doing the administrative and the behind the scenes stuff is that's kind of, I think more where my future, my future lies. Oh yeah. I really don't blame you at all. Um, before we started doing the podcast right before that apocalypse stuff started happening. And when, when it did, we were like, YouTube's probably isn't for us to try and get started. So we, you know, focused in on, you know, podcast platforms and, you know, the streaming platforms like Mixer and Twitch now. And, and that seems to be where at least if you want to do this kind of thing, that's the place to do it. And so it sounds like you made the right decision before all of this even started. Yeah. And the other thing, and I don't want to 
sound like this is a one size fits all because everybody kind of has to make their own path. But for me, I always looked at the at the, the YouTube platform as something that I was a huge fan of. I wanted to get into, but a lot of people that I think that have tried to make their way on YouTube. I mean, because some people at this point, there's some people that have made such a living on it that it doesn't matter. YouTube could disappear tomorrow and they probably have enough money to live on the rest of their lives or they have other sponsorships and funding and things that they could go off and do, you know, whatever they want. It, it, mm-hmm. YouTube wouldn't really affect them. But for the other people that are trying to make a living at it and get into it, and if YouTube kind of goes away, the people that's been doing it for like four and five years and still building up their stuff, and let's say YouTube goes away tomorrow, or if, or if YouTube continues down the, the path that they're going now and makes just it impossible for being a, a YouTuber as a career, like that kind of closes that door, what are these people going to have to show for the last four and five years of their life as far as you know, work history and what they have on a resume or portfolio when they actually need to go out and say, okay, I'm I'm not going to go back to my old nine to five in an office, but maybe I want to get into the industry or I want to do something you know within one of the companies that I've been covering all this time. And that mm-hmm. and they go into the interview and they show that okay, what have you been doing? Well, I've been a YouTuber for five years and now YouTube isn't a thing anymore. Uh, that I can't see that that's going to translate to a lot of really great work experience in you know a real world environment. So for me, that's kind of where I uh, came from in 2013. I was looking at it like, look, I'm, I have to have something to show for my work history and I have to have to show, I want to be able to show five, 10 years from now, how I've been building one opportunity onto the other. And it's kind of like, if you think of it like a video game and you're leveling up, leveling up and leveling up, you know, you have to keep building upon your previous experience. And if YouTube is the only thing you've been doing for four and five years and that kind of goes away, kind of like, where does that leave you as far as, you know, mm-hmm. the, the things and, and where do you go from there? Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, And so I'm actually going to uh, switch gears a little bit and talk about you and gaming. So in your experiences, um, when it comes to gaming, what's it like gaming for relaxation now versus gaming for work? Well, I can tell you that I'm definitely a lot pickier on the games that I play. (laughs) To be be honest, that may have more to do with my age than anything else because I'm 35 and I'm I'm pretty picky with what I'm going to play now, but I, I can tell you one of the issues that I have with kind of modern gaming in general, and this is both good and bad. I mean, because the the good part about modern gaming is you get these really epic, completely immersive stories, and playing a video game now is probably as close to kind of immersing yourself in a virtual world that we have until you know the true VR kind of comes along. And I'm not talking about the Oculus Rift VR that we have right now, which is kind of puttering out and it's kind of lame uh, yeah. i'm talking about like the truly feeling like you're a part of the story you're in another world that kind of escapism you have something that exists now in gaming that we've never had in the history of the games industry so that's awesome but on the other hand i find myself some nights really just looking to kill like a half hour to an hour wanting mm-hmm. to play something like whatever the case may be but not really having any like i'll have a couple of the AAA titles that I'll have either on my hard drive or stuff that I haven't played yet. And I'll want to jump into a new game, but I'm like, I don't really want to start this huge, massive game right now. I, I literally want to just have something I can jump into, pick up and play, and then put down. That's kind of where like retro gaming was awesome. Because if you talk about you know the 8-bit and the 16-bit era, those are games that you could literally pick up and play. It didn't matter you know, what you were doing. And you can knock out a, maybe a half hour to an hour of gameplay. And you didn't have to devote specific 
you know, chunks of your life to say, okay, I'm going to immerse myself in this quest and this story mode and all this other stuff. So I think that's one of the reasons why I don't play as many games now is because I really just don't have the time to start up a big new epic game every time I turn around. I just finally actually got into Destiny 2 and to really, because I, 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 we covered Destiny on the site when it first came out, but I actually mm-hmm. first didn't get a chance to play it. So, but I wanted to, I didn't want to miss the boat on Destiny 2. It really seemed like an awesome game. And so I took all this time researching Destiny, like the background, the story, the gameplay mechanics. I had, I literally did like a week's worth of homework on the Destiny lore or the franchise just to get into Destiny 2. And then now I'm kind of playing through that. And it's a great game and it's awesome. But I mean, it's a lot, of, it's, there's a lot involved. There's a lot of commitment involved in today's gaming. So you can't just pick up a game on a whim on, you know, hardly anymore um, without a lot of, uh, thought that goes behind it like do you really want to spend the rest of your gaming time on this one gaming so or this one game rather so it's it's one of those things where i kind of miss the old days and that's why i still keep a lot of my uh old emulators and things laying around for when i want to you know play some old stuff and not have to play too much of the uh the newer stuff because like i said it, it can really get cumbersome trying to figure out how to play you know fit all of this into your life plus like you said earlier you know, I'm a family man now. I have wife. I have kids. I have responsibilities with work. So it, it definitely gets a little uh, harder to figure out which games are actually going to get played. And I have a pretty big backlog of stuff that I'm probably just never going to get to, unfortunately. Oh, I completely understand. I'm not a family man at the moment, but I have my backlog is pretty bad right now uh, especially since uh, we started doing this podcast because we cover mostly indie games and so i've got plenty of indie games um that i've been playing and i've been you know that we review and and all this stuff but my AAA titles i i still buy them but then i just never touch them except for at the moment destiny 2 right. uh, but like you said that's a huge commitment and if uh if i didn't have friends to play with destiny 2 i don't know if i could continue playing it all the time because it is such a uh a commitment i almost feel like it is almost like a i'm married to the game at this point because it's if you don't keep up with it uh i feel like you, you just once you're once you're behind you're just lost kind of thing especially when it comes to pvp right when there's also there's a certain amount of uh grinding that you have to do on games like that where it's not just mm-hmm. okay um, there's there's 10 there's a story mode there's going to be 10 chapters you probably blow through two to three chapters in a sitting if you were just playing casually. So within two or three days, you're pretty much going to be done with the game and then you just kind of have multiplayer. But a game like Destiny where you're just grinding and grinding and getting all this stuff, I mean, it's just, if you devote time to a game like that, where do you find time for all the other games? You can't casually bounce between, you know, a racing game and a fighting game and then Destiny. It's it's kind of one of those things where you almost have to plan it out and it kind of gets, uh, it can give you a headache. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I hear you. So now that we kind of know what you're playing right now, if you could pick your top two or three games of all time personally, uh, what would they be and why? Wow. Okay. So I'm glad you said top two or three because I can never do a favorite of anything. I don't believe uh, in one favorite. Like I can usually do like top five of things. Like, mm-hmm. But yeah, I could probably do top two or three. Like off the top of my head, I can... Like I, I I won't say uh, Super Mario Brothers because that's kind of a that's kind of a go to for anybody I think I mean but I I'm can pretty much play Super Mario Brothers any any time any place if you if you want to pop in the original Mario Brothers I'm gonna play the crap out of that game but if I had to talk about one of my favorites that I think is I guess what you know one of those life changing games I've had a couple of them in my life 
Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario, Mario 64 specifically um, is a game that I could play probably about once a year all the way through and, st- and just love it because it's great. And they just did that. Uh, they It's had a lot of love the last year or two. Somebody did an HD remake, I think, where they did like updated textures on the emulator. So it kind of made it into HD. And then somebody also, I think, just had a uh, takedown notice from Nintendo because they did kind of an online battle of battle arena mode kind of super mario 64 which looked awesome had yeah. all the different characters in it yeah that did look like a, that looked like a lot of fun but yeah i'd say mario 64 is one of the one of my favorites um and i can if i i guess i'll talk about it from an industry standpoint i mean mm-hmm. uh, it's one of the platformers that really took us into the 3d era in the right way and any good 3d platformer today owes its its uh, success and its its roots to Mario 64, in my opinion. I don't think that. I mean, of course, Zelda, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time came out you know, around that time as well. But yeah, I feel like you know Mario 64 did 3D platforming in a way that changed the game for everybody. Um, it's just it's just so much fun. I mean, the way Mario run, like using that stick and the way he can just bounce around and jump and flip. I mean, it's just so much fun. You can't not have fun playing that game. It's awesome. Even people that didn't grow up on it, like me, can go back and play it today and still have a ton of fun with that game. But if I had to give you a more recent example, mm-hmm. uh, I'm not only a more, uh, I'm not only a huge Batman fan. Uh, I can, I'm a specifically a huge fan of the Arkham series. Uh, not so much of the Arkham Knight. It was okay, but uh, agreed. Yeah, but Arkham City for me, that's still probably one of the best games, not just as a Batman fan, but just a fan of gaming. It's just it's one of the funnest, best games that I've played probably in the last 10 years. Uh, it was it was really great. I actually hadn't played Asylum at the time. My cousin had, I think, rented uh, Arkham City from a video store and we were just at his house and he let me play like the first level or two. And I remember thinking, well, that's pretty cool. I'm gonna go rent it and check it out. And I was just, I got completely obsessed with it. I love how they took kind of a lot of the, what was awesome about Batman, the animated series, and kind of brought it into the game world. Because to me, Arkham Asylum, or Ark, the Arkham uh, series to me is kind of an, a, a video game extension of what was great about the animated series. Because they got a lot of the same characters, it's, it's voice actors and, and things. So to me, it was like a darker video game version of, of the animated series. But like I said, I hadn't even played the first one, Arkham Asylum. And then once I played through City and I just couldn't get enough of it, I went back and played Asylum. And then, I, of course, I picked up Arkham Knight. And then I just actually went back and replayed Asylum and Arkham City uh, in the HD remake that they just released for Xbox One and PS4. I mean, I just love it. I love everything they did with the, uh, with the world. I think uh, Rocksteady did an awesome job. I heard rumors that they might even do like a Superman version of... Uh, like maybe a, a Superman take, which would be awesome. It's probably not going to happen, but uh, yeah, I uh, I can't think of any other time that I've been that immersed in a game where I could not put it down. I mean, I've played a lot of games since then that are good, mm-hmm. uh, but that was one of the games that I'm just like, I love it. I can't get enough of it. I can't wait till they, they do the, uh, the remake. Um, and as far as like just to kind of round out the list of three, um, I haven't even touched on my Mortal Kombat obsession, which has always been, you know, back in my arcade days. Arcade days, that was that was that was probably my biggest obsession. But Mortal Kombat hasn't exactly been doing gangbusters lately. I wasn't a huge fan of MKX. I I, I love the remake that they did for Xbox 360. But uh, for me, Need for Speed has always been a, a fun go-to for racing. I've always loved the uh, 
the customization. I know that they kind of did away with that recently, some of the recent installments, which is kind of a bummer, but the new Need for Speed that's coming out looks pretty good. So for me, Need for Speed is always like a, a fun go-to. I'm not as big a fan of games like Forza. Uh, cause, okay. Yeah, the on-the-rails style uh, racing, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not as interested in. I kind of like more of the open world style or more of like an action, an action racer. Like I know with the new Need for Speed, looks like there's going to be reintroducing a lot of the uh, the chasing from the cops element and things like that. So if I had to say those three, those three are kind of scratching the surface, but I think that kind of gives okay. you an idea of, of I guess my tastes. I know some people are specifically like, well, I like World of Warcraft and that's it, or I only play RPGs, or I'm only a fighting game fan, or I only play Madden and that's it. But uh, those are kind of my those are kind of my go tos. Very nice, and there is nothing wrong with that list at all, especially the Batman games, because I grew up with the animated series, so I totally understand where you're coming from when it comes with the Arkham series, because those games do not happen if Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill do not voice Batman and the Joker, respectively. And um, the fact that they got them to do it years later and, and still for them to hit their marks and to tell also such a great story, um, which I agree, Arkham um, Asylum and City were really good. And Knight kind of missed that mark a little bit, but it was still good, just not great like the other two were. But yeah, I there's nothing wrong with that list at all. And I'm, I'm the same way with because I like to play just about everything and I just focus on one little thing well yeah i even, um, played, uh, I even played origins too because i mean i just wanted to play everything there was and mm-hmm. uh, i think troy baker did the voice of joker on that one and I, there was a different there was or i can't remember if he was the voice of i, I know it was i think it was nolan north and troy baker but i can't remember which ones played yeah, which i think troy baker did the joker and yeah nolan north yeah did the bat the, the batman but i mean and again they did great the, they did a great job it's not like i didn't enjoy the game because uh, it was them, but I, I'm always, uh, I, I was definitely missing the, the Conroy Hamill connection there because they just add so much. And maybe it's because I grew up on the animated series. So that's kind of a nostalgic connection, but they're just so good at it. They just make everything oh, yeah. about it. Awesome. And there's a reason why they obviously, uh, Conroy has been the voice of Batman for 20 plus years. And then when they did the animated, uh, killing joke, uh, they had him and Hamill come together because they knew people loved that 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 partnership. So, totally agreed. Uh, so, if you have any hobbies outside of gaming, what what would if you have time for it at least? <laughs> uh, what do you like to do outside of gaming in your just normal day to day life? If you if you have some spare time, uh, well, I've been playing guitar since I was probably twelve. Uh, my family's all pretty musical. Everybody in my family either sings or plays an instrument. Uh, but yeah, I've always loved guitar and, uh, I still try to make time to play. As a matter of fact, the other day I was going over some stuff and some things that I've been uh, working on and made like a little list of, of some guitar pieces that I kind of started working on and never finished and some things that I need to go back over and, and try to make time to do. That's kind of the big problem with that, you know, a hobby like that is that making time to do it. A lot of times if I find the free time with so many options and distractions out there with Netflix and streaming and then all the other things that we have to do. And yeah, as far as, you know, day-to-day life, I mean, it, it, it trying to find time for a hobby like that can be rough, but you know, guitar definitely is one of those things. that's all it's, it's been a huge passion for, I, I'd say guitar is probably uh, as big a passion for my, for in, in my life as, as gaming or anything else. I've also, one of the things that got me into audio video production in the first place was uh, movies and things. So movies is actually, that was actually one of my original career paths. I was actually going to get into the movie industry and 
maybe do editing and maybe even try my hand at directing and producing at some point, but just kind of it, it morphed over time. But I'd say between gaming, movies, and music, those are probably, that's kind of like my trifecta of, of passion as far as what I'm really into in my life. So I'm going to give you another list. So I'm going to give you another three choices. Right. Uh, top three inspirations when it comes to artists or bands for you as, as a guitarist. Mm, okay. Well, they're probably not going to be ones you've heard of. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> my original inspiration was a guy named Steve Warner. I'm a country fan, uh, but not, he's not just your typical country artist. Like, oh, well, he likes Hank Williams or he likes, you know, Alan Jackson or Garth Brooks. This is a guy that, uh, he writes all his own stuff. He's one of the best guitar players, uh, that country music has ever seen. Uh, if he had not mm-hmm. had hits with, you know, some of his songs, he absolutely would have been, you know, a session player. He's one of those guys that can play any style, do anything. And he's always been somebody that I've always admired and tried to, uh, pattern my, 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 my guitar style off of. He's one of the reasons why I actually play finger style guitar with a thumb pick in my fingers versus like a flat pick. Uh, mm-hmm. another one is a guy named Tommy Emanuel. He's not really a, a country guitarist, but he's definitely, he's like a finger style guitarist. He's, he's one of these guys that he's almost as fun to watch playing guitar as he is to listen to because he gets really into it. He, he does a lot of, he, he does a lot of really cool performances and he also, he, he's probably the best finger style guitar player alive today. In my opinion, I've never heard anybody else that can do like with the versatility that he has, um, do can do what he can do. Now, as far as something more fun, uh, I, I would say that, uh, Leslie West from Mountain is kind of a, an eclectic kind of third pick there because the other two kind of had more classical finger style or country roots. He's a mm-hmm. straight up, you know, classic rock guy, and he's always been, you know, really fun. If you're, if you or anybody listening has ever played guitar and wanted to just sit around and have some fun, just have some fun playing guitar, because a lot of stuff that I try to play or learn, I try to do it from the mindset of how it would be useful. Is it going to, either improve my technique or give kind of make me more versatile as a, as a, as a player. But sometimes I just want to sit around and goof off and have fun. And Leslie West's stuff is, is just so awesome. He's got that very unique style. Um, for those of them, for those listening that may not know, he's a guitarist. He did the Mississippi queen and a lot of really cool stuff like that. So to me, those are kind of three people that really just, and to be honest, I, I there's tons more. I mean, there's probably, there, there's so many artists that I that I quote borrow from and frankly mm-hmm. just steal stuff from. That's <laughs> more accurate. But I mean, I, I'm kind of a, as far as my musical taste, they're pretty eclectic. You know, uh, it's it's kind of across the board. I mean, I grew up listening to kind of like oldies because of my dad listening to that, and then we kind of got into like 80s and 90s country, and then I later on discovered a lot of classic rock stuff. And then you know, when I'm sitting at my desk though, I might listen to anything from rock or I mean, I. I just went through Eminem's uh, greatest hits album the other day, and, and that's a really cool album. And then, but it, to be honest, a lot of times it won't be even uh, a musical artist at all like that. Sometimes I'll just be sitting and listening to like movie soundtracks or whatever the case may be. So yeah, my my radio stations and presets in the car are all very different. It's like country, classic rock. It's a little bit of current stuff, but not really. I'm not a huge fan of what's going on in music today, modern. So that's why I kind of feel like an old fogey because I keep. Mm-hmm talking about the old stuff versus any of the new <laughs> stuff i can't really get into that but yeah it's kind of all over the board really 
I, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, that's, I'm the same way and I, I really cannot get into what's, um, going on in music today. Um, it's, oh, come on. you sound like a Taylor Hick or Taylor. <laughs> I said Taylor Hick. See, that's another Taylor guy. Hick. I see. There you go. Um, no, I, Taylor I Swift. Like, no, I, yeah, I can't I like do it. it. I, I just can't do it for some reason. Like, especially her new song. Can't do it. Uh, yeah. A couple of friends are trying to convince me like, it's great. I'm like, no, no, I can't do it. <laughs> if they could take uh taylor swift justin bieber and the kardashians and just sh- like sh- fire a rocket to the moon and just say look you can have the moon you can have the whole planet to yourself just go away and quit polluting our culture i would be completely fine with that agreed and we're losing so many artists recently um like with tom petty like it's just really sad to hear um and we're never going to hear that voice again and I feel like for me personally, I didn't feel like he got enough attention in his lifetime uh, recently, especially when he died, at least between me and my friends. And and it's just like, well, here's this really great artist that, you know, while he was here, he's a legend, a living legend, and he's no longer here anymore. But they're still more concerned about um, other things that are going on. Just like uh, it's just really sad to see. Yeah, I feel you. Um, so, um, if you, I'm going to go switch back to basically your job and everything. If you could give any advice to anyone right now, um, who are looking for a job in the gaming industry, uh, what advice would you give them based on your experience? Well, I can tell you that the number one thing that is going to get you a job in the industry, if if you come into a site like mine and Mm -hmm. I can take from the, or or, or rather in my position, uh, what I'm looking for, because if I if I have a position that I need to fill and I get multiple people applying for it, um, again, this is one of those things we touched on in the panel because because we're an independent site, we have a smaller writing team, so I can't uh, I can't hire everyone that I might like. So you have to do something as a writer that's going to make yourself stand out, and you have to be thinking to yourself, how do you move yourself from the bottom of the stack of resumes to the top and and be seen? And I always talk about you know in the writing. Uh, with my writers that they need to be bold in their writing they need to do something that you know stands out and they shouldn't be worried about uh whether their opinion is going to be loved or hated they just need to go out there and put their opinion out there and don't worry about that be more focused on that their opinion is strong and, and it's accurate and they can they can back it up but if it's not popular who cares if it's not popular i mean that's that as i uh, made the point at the panel you know you can be hated for your opinion but that doesn't make it wrong you know what i mean you can you can take an unpopular stance and still be 100% right because you're willing to be bold and go against the grain and not jump on a bandwagon and maybe see something that other people aren't willing to see or just maybe miss. So if if somebody like me is hiring for a position that I have to sort through 10 or 15 or 20 different resumes, the people that are going to get the interview and catch my attention are the people that are bold in their writing, that stand out, and they're they're not afraid to do something different, and they're not afraid to go out there and, and like I said, put an opinion out there that you know, I don't even have to agree with it. I just have to be able to see that you're willing to write content that's interesting or that's interesting, and something that somebody like me would want to read. Because if I want to read it, that means that the people that, you know, we're trying to uh, entertain and create content for, namely the readers of our site, are going to be are going to want to read your content. And so mm-hmm. that means you're somebody that I'm going to want on my writing team. Because that's exactly what I need on my writing team is somebody making content that I know people out there are going to want to read and it's going to get to people's attention. So that's one of the things that me personally, if, I, if I'm going to be looking for someone, uh, what I'm looking for in a writer is going to be somebody that's, that's, that's bold and not afraid to put their opinion out there and, 
and there's a lot of other things we could talk about. You know, I know we can't cover all of it uh, tonight, but as far as keeping the gig, once you get it, you know, there's a lot of things that you can do, uh, namely just take the gig seriously. As, as we talked about at the panel, there's so many writers that have come through our site that just work so hard to get the gig. And then once they get it, they think that, you know, well, that's the end. And really, to be honest, it's, it's not the end. That's just the beginning. You got to work as hard six months, a year, two years out to be the best writer you can be as you did when you were just trying to get the job. And that's one of those things that, you know, that's one of those pitfalls we were talking about earlier that a lot mm -hmm. of people fortunately kind of fall into. Well, there you have it, folks. If you're looking for a job in the gaming industry, Jason just spelled it out for you. You just got to go be bold and, and be keep that boldness uh, through your career. And so donuts. Donut. Oh. Bring me donuts and I'll <laughs> hire you tomorrow. That's really all it takes. Well, since you're in the area, sort of, I'll just bring you donuts tomorrow. And we'll talk about the details later. <laughs> um, so out of everything you've done uh, for Chico Central, has there ever been a moment where you just took a step back and you were just like, wow. I can't believe I'm about to do this for my job. I never thought 10 years ago I'd do this. Have you ever had that moment yet? Well, it, I've had so many different experiences and it kind of came in, in small little bite-sized things that you kind of look back on it as a whole. At the time, you're, you're as you're doing it, it's just kind of, you know, it's one more step along your path and your career path. And you're like, okay, now I'm doing this. Now I'm working with Microsoft. Now I'm working on this review and that review. I mean, I could think back to times where I got like my first game, uh, you know, for review before anybody else had it. And I'm sitting there playing a game that I know I'm the only one in town that has right now that has this game right now because it's not available anywhere else. And you're like, that was cool. And then as I became editor in chief and and working on things like, you know, E3 and, and kind of overseeing all of our coverage for E3 and we have correspondence on the ground and it's kind of all coming in to our hub that I'm I'm, I'm pumping out there and that's kind of a cool experience to do that for the first time. But I guess one of the things, if I had to really think back, back in, I guess, 2013 or 2014, because we were talking about earlier about the Cincinnati Expo and one of the first con things I ever went to was the Expo. And I remember at the time I started looking up uh, ticket information because I had just got it. I think I had heard about the Expo or it was another con and I'm like, I really kind of would like to go and check it out. I've never been. It's fun. And I was looking through ticket prices to find out how much it was going to cost me uh, to go just to get in. Right. And then I mm -hmm. happened to see that there was a press thing and I was looking at that and it said, you know, this is what you got to do to get a press pass. And because at the time I was a fairly new writer and I remember thinking to myself, well, wow, that's pretty cool. That'd be awesome. I would like wish I could do that. And then I like I stopped for a second. I'm like, wait, I am press. I didn't even it didn't even <laughs> it didn't even click. And I remember filling out the press pass application and then getting approved and then realizing I was now getting to go and attend this event as a kind of a correspondent as part of my job. I'm going to cover it and then I'm going to go back and write a piece about it. And then that piece is then going to be read and people are going to read about my experience at this con and, and all this other stuff. To me, that was one of the first kind of experiences that really sat in. I'm like, wow, this is really cool. I'm actually doing this as an industry gig it's really it, that was really awesome and it, it it kind of it changed the way i i approach things because i i kind of now started learning how to see things through the prism of a journalist versus just mm -hmm. someone that's just kind of enjoying what i'm doing which of course i still enjoy what i'm doing but it's just one of those things where you kind of it it, it took me a minute to kind of change my perspective and, and see things uh see things differently once i was kind of on the other side of the of the wall there well very nice i i 
I can speak from experience myself and say we had that same moment ourselves when we went and attended Cincinnati Expo because, you know, doing a podcast didn't really see ourselves as press. But at the same time, it's just like, you know, we cover all this stuff and it's just and when we filled it out, got approved, we were so elated. So I very much understand uh, that feeling and how exciting and just how crazy that experience is. Well, it's good that you guys are pursuing that. And I mean, you really have to, you know, in this vast ocean of internet content where it's just so much stuff is being pumped out, you really got to find your niche and really stick with it. Most importantly, you got to keep up with regular content is, is, is the other thing. And I mean, you guys are obviously trying to find different avenues to get out there and promote yourself. So it's, 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 I'm glad to see that you guys are uh, really, really trying. And it was, it was, it was good to see you guys at the con and at the uh, the panel, I do appreciate you stopping by. Oh no problem. It was uh it was really our pleasure. And uh, when we saw it on the the schedule, I was like, we have to check this out. And I'm really glad we stopped by. So I do have one last question for you. Um, we covered this topic on our latest episode, and I was wondering your thoughts on this as well. Um, so we as a gaming industry have started to take a turn um, when it comes to physical and digital as far as um, how we consume our video games which do you prefer physical copies or digital copies and why well i guess i'll take that in two parts i'll take the part okay i'll, I'll take the first part will be what i prefer and then i'll give you my opinion on the industry aspect okay me personally i have completely went away from any physical media in my life whatsoever um, I remember back in the early 2000s when DVDs were kind of starting to get big, I would spend my whole paycheck going out and buying DVDs. I was like, I had a huge DVD collection. It was ridiculous. I mean, I would get paid like back when I was doing just like office work before I ever even thought about getting into video editing or gaming or anything. Like I would get paid on like a Friday morning. I would see that like, like my check went in the bank that Friday morning. I'd go to lunch on my lunch break where cause there was like a Best Buy, like right up the street from where I work, I'd go to Best Buy and I, I'd blow almost my entire check on DVDs at Best Buy. So I'd pretty much be broke by the time I got home that Friday, but I'd have a huge stack of DVDs. Actually, it wasn't even that big a stack because of course back then DVDs were way more expensive and Best Buy is kind of like pricey. So I probably didn't get that much for my money. But. <laughs> so the point is I had this huge DVD collection and what I learned in investing in a format is that it never lasts and it kept as technology evolved and, you know, HD became a thing. And then Blu-rays kind of tried to come in and, and replace DVDs. But then at the same time, the streaming content took hold. So that kind of killed the Blu-ray industry mm-hmm. it, for me now at this point, anything I can get digitally uh, accessible on a, on my on my hard drive, I prefer that. As a matter of fact, we don't even buy books anymore. Like I used to have a huge bookshelf of books. I don't even have that. My wife and I, she has a tablet. I have my my smartphone. And anytime we're buying books, we're almost always buying the digital version just so we can page through it on our on our tablets. I'm kind of anti-physical media at this point. And I know mm-hmm. that's kind of unpopular with some people, but for me, I think everything is going towards a digital age. It's, it's a, at some point you're going to see a complete you know, uh, falling away of digital media. Uh, you probably will still have like, like, uh, the, the electronics department at Walmart will still exist, but you're probably not going to be walking down aisles of actual cases. It's probably going to be like little cards, like, mm-hmm. like, you know, like an iTunes card. 
where you'll buy it and you'll either scan it with your phone and unlock the content digitally, or you'll take it home and put the code in and you'll download it to whatever device you have. I mean, I just see, I feel like that's where it's going. So for me personally, I, I can't, I love that. Any kind of, if I can get a game, if I can get a digital copy, I'm more than happy with that. Now, of course it's not without its problems because right. the hard drives keep, keep, keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But the problem is the content keeps getting bigger. Like the other day I went to download destiny two and I think it was like a 35 gig download and my Xbox one has a terabyte hard drive, but I have several games on there. So I'm, I'm sitting there having to delete games just to get this new game on there. And if I mm-hmm. want to, if I want to download a new game right now, uh, I mean, I'm probably going to have to make a pretty hard decision on what game that I want to delete now because I just need the the space. And I I know the Xbox One X is going to have a bigger hard drive, and obviously you keep upgrading and upgrading, but the games just keep getting bigger and bigger. The movies keep getting bigger and bigger. The the HD Blu-rays and things like I think if you if you were to take like an HD Blu-ray and copy it to your hard drive, I think it's like a 25 or 30 gig video file or more sometimes if, if it's a longer movie like a lord of the rings extended cut or something and it's like 50 gigs just for yeah. one movie it's crazy oh yeah so oh yeah it's not without its problems but for me i love digital i think it's just easier i like ever ha- having everything accessible and at some point i do think that you know the industry all industry it's not just gaming i think movies and then music is all going to go away from that now it's not going to be anytime soon i mean i don't even know if you could s- Within the next 10 years, you'll probably see a major shift, but I don't think you're going to be able to you know, to get it completely gone. Because the other thing you have to think about, too, is like the overseas markets. Not everybody has the access to like streaming and Internet and technology that we have. So it's going to persist around the world a lot longer. But the United States uh, within I'm sure by the time my kids are my age, it'll be a, a, a almost completely gone away from physical media. I just can't see anybody putting a disc in a system. 20 years from now. I just, I can't fathom that. I completely agree. And I, out of me and my co-host, I was the only one who thought that. And I brought up a, a, an example for them as well. And you can probably agree with this um, because I bought Halo 5 physically. It was probably the last physical game I, I've bought in the past five years. Right. Or since it came out, what was that? Three years ago or whatever? So um, Halo 3? Halo 5. Sorry. Oh, Halo 5. Um, yeah, yeah, that, yeah that's, that's within the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, three years. And uh, I don't understand why, like, you know, the Xbox and, and PlayStation now, if you buy a physical, it still installs the entire thing. But right. I had to wait like six hours to play it because not only was it a big download, um, I had also had to, there was a day one patch that was just as big as the game itself. Right, yeah, exactly. So, That's what I was going to say is like, you know, with the patches and, and everything comes with a day one patch now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just more and more reliant on the hard drive. So at what point are they just going to completely cut out the middleman and just get rid of the physical and just dump it all out onto the to the hard drive itself? Because the other thing, too, is if you're if you're downloading the digital copy anyway, it's going it's going to make that easier for them to do away with day one copies because all they have to do is patch mm-hmm. the source and it's just going to push it down to Xbox or Xboxes and Playstations. But I mean, I think some retailers are even uh, already getting or some developers rather already kind of getting on board with that where they're trying to push them push their diehard physical media fans towards the digital platform because i think a lot of like a lot of pc games now uh you buy the you buy the box and on some of them on the inside it's just a card with the redemption code so it's like yeah basically (laughs) and I, i bought the sonic mania like collector's edition and right. it doesn't even come with a physical copy. It came with a, a card, like you were saying. And I yeah, think I, I don't for get the it. Nintendo, yeah, for the Nintendo Switch, um, 
I, I believe most of its uh, library is digital only as opposed to being able to get it physically even, which is uh, surprising to see too. Yeah, it's, it's, it's just one of those things where it, obviously people are going to, you know, dig their heels in. And, and a lot of this, I think, has to do with like attachment and nostalgia about the medium. I mean, I can mm-hmm. I look back when I when I go into like retro game stores and I see the uh, Nintendo cartridges up on the wall and the 16 bit cartridges like I have a very nostalgic you know, appreciation for that. And I, I look at that and I'm like, man, it, that brings back so many memories and it gives me such a warm feeling but when i look at some of these like you know to get back to youtube one of the big uh types of videos on youtube is like collectors people who do like either retro style reviews of their collection i mean there's there's a million you can throw a rock and hit somebody who you know does a retro video game review on youtube now obviously you know angry video game nerd and and people like that are the ones that really kind of pioneered that and then everybody Mm -hmm. else came along and it kind of snowballed and blew up to everybody doing it. But when I look at those collections and I see people with just like walls and walls of cartridges, like to me, that just gives me so much anxiety from just like the sheer amount of clutter that it would take to house that much just old plastic. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. So to me, it's, I get why that, that stuff is, is fun to have because it was a part of our childhood. But I think at some point we need to detach ourselves from the attachment to the piece of plastic and remember that the game is not about the cartridge itself. The game was a piece of is a piece of art that exists in a digital form. The cartridge was just the, the delivery system. You know, the the people who made the games, they don't care that their game that they made, like you know, Shigeru Miyamoto, when he was making intent or when he was making uh, Zelda or Super Mario. He didn't wake up one day and think, man, I love these cartridges. I can't wait to put something in these cartridges. No, they wanted to make their game, and the cartridge just happened to be the delivery system at the time. And if they were, if they made it, you know, 20 years later, it would have been a, a disc, or, or and then later on, if they, I mean, obviously, uh, a lot of, I think, pretty sure Zelda, the, the latest Zelda, didn't it also come in a digital download version as well as a as a physical medium version? I, I'm pretty sure that's the case. But even yeah. even even if it do, even if it didn't, let's say that they make another Zelda game for the Switch and they offer a digital version of it, that game is no less valuable to someone just because it didn't come in a physical media. The art for the art part of it is not connected to the media. You know what I mean? So to me, oh, yeah. the the idea that we have to hold on to physical media because we're losing something it just to me that doesn't make sense I, it, it, it's it's you're still appreciating the content you know and, and obviously there I, I i will say that people have a a good point when they talk about preservation it's a lot harder to preserve all digital content versus actually getting your hands on the physical media but that's kind of i feel like that's a bridge we'll we'll burn when we get there and that's also mm-hmm. not a good reason to kind of hold back progress because clearly that's the way that that's the tide that's the way the tide's going anyway whether we like it or not Completely agree. And quite honestly, if I had one of my co-hosts here, I would love to hear their a rebuttal to something like that. But since they're not here, they can't defend themselves. <laughs> well, that makes me right, fellas. Sorry. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Jason, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us today. And I hope that um, we get a chance to talk to you, um, hopefully in the near future. Sure. I'd love to do it again. And for uh, real quick, if you would like to plug um, Chico Central and also your own personal social media stuff, this is now the time to do it. Yeah, sure. Uh, our site is Chico Central. Uh, if you're pretty much looking for a, a code, 
to any video game, newer or older, to be honest, uh, depending on the game, you could pretty much always type in uh, just the name of the game into Google, followed by the word cheat, and Cheat Code Central is typically going to pop up in the search results as one of the top few results, if not number one, because uh, uh, we do still do, uh, we still maintain a huge database full of cheats. But if you wanted to visit, visit us directly, uh, the website is cheatcc.com. And uh, of course, if you're out there and you're an aspiring writer and would like to maybe uh, get into the gaming industry as a journalist, you can always uh, send me your resume. Uh, my email address is jmesser at cheatcc.com. All right. Thank you very much, Jason. It was nice talking to you. And as always, have a rad day. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.